I'm going to catch you up to speed because we started something new last week. So if you're new today, um, you're, you're here in the right time because we just started sort of like a new, a new thing last week. Going to catch everybody up to speed so we're on the same page so you don't feel like you're coming in halfway through the movie and, you know, you're not sure who, like who killed who and like why they're chasing that person. Uh, but, uh, you know, what we started saying last week is this, is that the Christian's approach to, to, uh, to our identity formation is, is very different than the rest of the world. The Christian approach to identity formation doesn't look like what, what most people would say how, how you get your identity. Most people would say that how you get your identity is first you look in. First you, you look in first. You kind of see what your feelings are. You look inside yourself. And then once you kind of figure out who you are, then you can open up your eyes and look and, and then you'll be able to see who God is and, you know, and see, you know just understand the world. And Christian identity formation doesn't, doesn't take that approach because a, the, a Christian would say something different. A Christian would, would say that I, I can't know myself at all until I know the one who created me. Until I know the, the, the one who named me and formed me. And so Christian identity is backwards. Um, it's unique. It says, no, first I look out to God. Then I look out to see, you know, who he is. And then I'll be able to, to know who I am. Okay? So um, if you're taking notes, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. Um, we learn who we are in light of who he is. That's how it starts. And so who is he? That's the only way we can know who we are. Because as, as I shared last week, and you know, we've all gone through seasons and all of us are in seasons currently where you're trying to figure out what your identity is based on. Um, who are you? And we've all got questions or we've got answers for that question. Um, but scripture says, hey, before you can know who you are, let's look who God is. And what does the Bible say who God is? Well, it says it uses one of these main metaphors. It uses the metaphor of a shepherd and a sheep, that he's the shepherd He's, he's the shepherd and we are, we're the sheep. Um, and so for these next weeks that we're in, I mean, it's going to be so important because, you know, your view of God and my view of God has been formed by, by lots of things, formed by culture, formed by what people say on TV, formed by what your, what is certainly mostly probably formed by what your parents believed about God. And so all of us are walking in here with these ideas of who God is and, and your relationship with God is going to be really affected by how you view him. So if you view him like a general, if you view him like he's angry, then your relationship is gonna, is gonna sort of be affected by how you view him. And what the Bible, what we're in this sermon series is called Sheepish. What we're in for these next few weeks is we're looking at the most famous passage of scripture in the Bible, probably. They're probably the most famous verse in the Bible is John 3, 16. Even if you're not a Christian, you probably know that one. But this chapter, it's a very short chapter. It's only six verses. It's in the book of Psalms, which is kind of like a collection of, of poems slash songs um, slash spoken word, you know, that the Israelites, that the ancient Israelites would sing and pray that in, in the 23rd chapter of, of the book of Psalms, we, we have this thing that, that is probably the most famous chapter in all the Bible. If you're not even a Christian, you've heard it over and over again. In fact, you might have parts of it memorized, and you don't even know that you have it memorized. And in this passage of Scripture, this is written by David. David is a shepherd. Um, and so he, even though he became a king later on in his life, he started out as a shepherd. So when he's talking about shepherding, he knows what it's about. The language of this, of this uh, chapter is, is in, it's from the voice of a sheep. So it's like a sheep talking. A sheep is boasting about its incredible, incredible shepherd. And in this passage of scripture, here's what we get. We get a clear picture of who God says he is. 
And that's going to help us all incredibly to know who we are. If he's a shepherd, that means we're the sheep. And this is going to have huge implications on your relationship with him. It's going to have huge implications on also how you draw others to him. So we talked about last week how in a few weeks we're going to talk about how if you learn how the good shepherd shepherds, then it's going to make you a better shepherd. And so that's good news for all the, all the bosses in the room um, because you lead some people in your workplace and you can always be a better leader. And we can learn tons. We can t learn a tremendous amount from this God who says, I'm the good shepherd. Uh, parents in the room, you're shepherding a little group of people at your house. And, uh, and you need to learn how to be, how do I be a better shepherd? Like he's, uh, like he's a good shepherd. And so it's going to have lots of implications on who we are. I want to read it together. In fact, I didn't do this last week, but this week, could we all read it together? Just kind of out loud, just like all of our voices. And if you don't want to do it, you don't have to, right? But I'm just, maybe we could all say it together. This is Psalm 23. Um, let's read it. Ready? Go. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I hope after this sermon series that this will be even more memorized just in you because we're going to come back to it time and time again. Here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that you're a sheep, that you're a sheep. Now, we, we're t we tend to relate. I don't know if there's any shepherds in the room. Probably not. Um, but, uh, you know, maybe you did 4-H. You know, last week I asked about the 4-Hers, and the 4-Hers were, like, super proud to be in 4-H. Come on, come on, be proud if you're in 4-H. Come on, no, be more proud than that. Come on, come on, you got Yes, okay, we got one there. There's probably a few others. Um, we tend to think of sheep as, like, soft, cuddly things. But, uh, in fact, I've got this. I've got this friend. Maybe see if I can get her to come out here. Yeah, okay. All right, you can do it. No, no, no. She's a little shy, all right? Here we go. Come on. Come on. Come on. So we usually think, we usually think of, of sheep like this, right? So cuddly, so soft. And so when God says you're a sheep, I mean, it's like, oh, that's so cute, you know? But as we said last week, this, to be called a sheep is actually insulting. It's insulting and it's liberating. Because it's insulting because sheep are some of the most defenseless animals out there. All right? Sheep desperately need a shepherd to survive. Sheep can't survive unless they have somebody leading them, guiding them. And so it's an insult because we like to think of ourselves not as sheep. We like to think of ourselves as sharks. Because sharks don't need shepherds. I want to think of myself as a lion. Rawr. Right? I want to think of myself as, as an eagle. You know, I want to think of myself. I wish the Bible called me the, all those things. The Bible didn't say that about me. The Bible didn't say that about you. It says that this, you got you to remember, this is who you are. And so this is insulting, but at the same time, it's liberating. Because when you can get to the place where you can acknowledge that you're a sheep, when you can have the humility to, 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 to say, listen, I, I need a shepherd. I'm a sheep. I need a shepherd. I need a savior. Unless you've got the humility to say that, you'll never look. You'll never look to the great shepherd. 
You'll never look to the ultimate shepherd. You'll always look inside. You'll always look inside for the answers and you'll miss. Look how, this is scary. You'll miss God. You'll miss him because you're not looking for him because you're not looking for a shepherd. Um, Last week we spent time on that and I kind of basically got you caught up. But um, uh, remember, um, if you're not willing to admit that you're a sheep, you won't look to him. And so we talked about how how, you know, can you have the humility just to admit that you, that you don't have it all figured out? Probably the best way for the best test that I like to use, and I've done this a bunch of times here at Westside, but I feel like it's time to do it again. I haven't done it in a while. Is there's this like, there's this thing called the 10-year rule, and it's a really good exercise. It's like a thought experiment. But think about this. It's called the 10-year rule, okay? So think about uh, at every stage in your life, if you just think 10 years before. So if you're 15 in the room, think about what you were like when you were five, and if you're a 15-year-old and you're looking back to when you were when you were five, you're like, man, I was an idiot back then. You know? Like, I didn't know anything. But imagine when you're 25 and you're looking back to when you were 15. And you think, oh, my gosh, I didn't know anything when I was 15. But maybe you're 35 now and you're thinking back to your mid-20s and you were like, oh, my gosh. I mean, I've grown so much. And so... You get the idea, right? And so whatever your age is, just think 10 years back and just think about, just think about who you were and just kind of how much of a moron you were. Like back then, you just didn't know. And so do you understand the implication of this thought experiment? Do you guys do you understand the, the punchline? You know what the punchline is? Is that at every point in your life, you're an idiot. <laughs> That's what it means. In 10 years from now, you're going to look at yourself today and you're going to think, that person was clueless. And so we, we just have to have the humility that, oh my gosh, I, I don't have it all figured out. I need a savior. And that's going to cause you to look to the shepherd. That's a good thing. Remember this too. Uh, remember this too, is you will be shepherded by something. You will be shepherded by something. Even if you don't have the humility to admit that you're a sheep and you need a shepherd, you will be shepherded by something. It's in our nature. You will look to something to your shepherd. You'll look to your feelings as your shepherd. Your feelings will be your guide. Or maybe it's going to be your bank account is going to be your shepherd. Or, or your acclaim at work or, if, or your career. If you could just get to that level, then, then you're going to be somebody. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's you're single and you think, if I could just get married, then finally I'll get there. And so your whole life is just, is just, you know, just sort of situated to like get to that thing. And so that's the thing that you're chasing. That's the thing that you're following. Whatever you're following, that's your true shepherd. You will be shepherded by something. Remember, parents, listen to me very closely. Your kids will be shepherded by something. It's in their nature. The Bible calls it worship. We all worship. Everyone's a worshiper. The atheist says they're not a worshiper, but the atheist is absolutely a worshiper. The atheist just worships their mind. The atheist worships their opinions. We're all worshipers. Parents, your kids are worshipers. They will, something will shepherd them. They will worship something. And if you aren't in the mix shepherding them and pointing them to the ultimate shepherd, then they will be shepherded. They'll just be shepherded by Netflix. Or they'll be shepherded by Cardi B. Or they will be shepherded by the latest thing. They'll be shepherded by their feelings, by their emotions. They will be shepherded by something. And so that's the call, is we will be shepherded, our kids will be shepherded by something. The answer is, who, who are we going to choose to be our shepherd? And that's where that psalm starts. It says, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord is my shepherd. Um, so, listen, 
Here comes God, and he says, man, I'm your good, I'm the shepherd, let me be shepherd. What gives him the right to say that? Well, I want to read to you one of the most famous conversations that Jesus has with his disciples. Because remember, Jesus steps onto the scene, and people start saying these things about Jesus. They start saying things like, look, there's the lamb that's, that's, that's going to be slain. Jesus would refer to himself as the lamb, and it's just like this sacrificial thing. Jesus is coming, and he's going to sort of... Uh, give his life for us and people start saying these things about him and people are looking to Jesus as their savior some of them and others are saying no of course he's not our savior and Jesus is in all these conversations as he's walking around and Jesus has this really famous conversation um, where he calls himself the good shepherd let's just see what he has to say and there's so many good things that we can pull out of here let's just read it or I'll read it to you this is from John, the Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. It's in the New Testament, chapter 10. Jesus is in a conversation, and here's what he says. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. When the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it, the man runs away because he's a hired hand, and he cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father, I lay my life down for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen and I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock, one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. And then there's a reaction. They're listening to all this. And so some say they hear these words and they're divided. Some of them said he's, he's demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Okay, three things. Three things I just want to hit. He's good. He cares and he knows. He's good, he cares, and he knows, okay? So first, he's good, he's good. Three times in this passage, he says, I'm the good, good shepherd. This is a fundamental thing for us to believe. If you wanna follow Jesus, it's one of these sort of like bedrock things that we, that, that we, that we gotta believe that is God, you know, it's this question, is God basically good? Is he kind of good? Is he semi-good? Is he good just on his good days? Or is he... Or is he totally good? He's completely good. Does he love me or is he angry at me? These are important, important questions for us as we follow Jesus. Um, our relationship with God, your relationship with God will be powerfully affected by our perception of his goodness. By our perception of his goodness. Your relationship is going to be powerfully affected by your perception of his, goodness, of his goodness. If you view God as angry, distant, not good, or even just semi-good, it'll affect your relationship with him, with him in this way. It'll cause you to be fearful. It'll cause you to, to wanna hide from him. It'll cause you to wanna to like play games with him, to try to get, you know, twist his arm to get him to do stuff for you. And we're just, if you see God as not completely good, then you're gonna start to play this game with him. And we become distant, we become isolated. An angry God creates distant, uncertain believers. If you believe that God is angry at you, then it's going to cause you to become distant and uncertain. Is God going to be happy with me today? Or is he just going to wake up today and just be angry? 
Is he going to just wake up and just have a bad day? Do you ever, do you ever wake up and just have a bad day? Yes. <laughs> Does that happen to anybody here in the room? You just wake up and it's just like, this is not going to be a good day. <laughs> and just like everything anybody said, your kids, you know, like start asking you a question. You're like, no, now, you know, it's just like, you just, you just wake up that way. Um, my, my, my parents are here today. They're right there. So I'll give honor to my parents. My parents. Um, no, no, I didn't say you give honor. I mean, I, I'm, I'm giving honor to my parents today. Uh, but you, it's okay to clap. Sorry, I've t- stopped you from clapping twice. I'm sorry. Um, I want to give, give honor to them because they taught me the value of, of, of hard work. But, um, but I remember growing up, Saturdays, Saturdays were typically yard work days at the Rice House. And, and my parents would do this thing. So I'd be asleep in bed. It's a Saturday. It's like, oh, I'm excited for my Saturday. But then something would happen. The lights would be off. We'd be asleep. And either my mom or dad would come in. And then they would sing this really annoying song. And here's how it went. They would go, good morning to you. Good morning to you. We're all in our places with sunshiny faces. This is the way to start a new day. And we'd be like, no. We'd pull the covers over. No. I think I'm traumatized still, you know, by that song. And, uh, and so, but the fun thing is that now that I'm a parent, I get to pay it forward to my kids, right? <laughs> and so, and so at, the, at, the, at my rice house, here's what happens. So I'll go into their room, they're asleep, and I'll pull out my phone, and I'll turn it to, to you know, to turn it to 10 or 11, you know? And, uh, and I'll get in the middle of their room, and just imagine, they're asleep. In fact, just pretend like you're my kids right now, okay? I want you to pretend you're my kids, and you're just, like, nice and warm and snuggly in your bed, and you're just, like, having sweet dreams, and it's a Saturday morning, and you just want to sleep in, and you're all cuddled, and I press play on my phone, and just imagine you hear this. I wake up in the morning, wide awake for the day. I say, what a morning, it's all okay. Turn it up a little bit louder, because I like to get it loud in the bedroom. If you picture that God is semi-good, then you're going to picture him being this God who kind of wakes up and kind of has his off days, has his bad days. And you're going to always have this question mark is, how is God going to treat me today? Is he going to be kind to me? Is he going to be good to me? Or is he just going to be off today? Or is he going to squash me? And if you have that view of God, then you're going to walk through your life just being, just being distant from him. So there's this thing called paganism. And paganism is essentially trying to appease an angry God. And so people from the beginning have, have believed that God is like not, not completely good. And so what we need to do is we need to bring the right sacrifices in order to sort of twist his arm to get him to like us and do good things for us. And so if you bring him the right sacrifice, then he'll cause the rains to flow. 
If you bring him the, you know, the right thing and if you bow the, the, the right way and if you do all the right stuff and if you attend the right things, then God will, God will you know, make your, your lands fertile and God will do this for you and God will do that for you. And you just sort of play this game to try to be in his good grace as long as you do all the right things. That's essentially, essentially what paganism is. And my fear, my fear is that there's many people who call themselves Christians, but really they're, 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 they're pagan Christians that they view God as not completely good. And so if I just go to church, if I just do say the right thing, if I just not say that swear word, if I just like not do this, if I just do all these things correctly, then God will love me. Then God will accept me. And then, and then he'll, he'll do good things for me. And right in the midst of some of that, that craziness, you see, if you view him that way, you're just gonna always live up and down, up and down. You're gonna get a flat tire and you're gonna be like, God! I knew I should have done my devotions today. You're giving, you know, you're going to see him doing things to you because you're not performing. And it's going to, it's going to cause you to crumble. You're going to be exhausted following that kind of a God. You're never going to know if he loves you. And in the midst of that craziness, Jesus steps into the scene and says, listen, listen, I'm the good shepherd. I'm the good shepherd. I am 100% good. I love you. What do we do with that in the midst of suffering and pain and tragedy? When you're dealing with suffering and pain and tragedy, I mean, what, what do you do? Because that's the first place you go, isn't it? Is you doubt God's goodness. Is God, can you truly be good? And this isn't a sermon on all that, but listen, in the, but in the midst of underneath all of that, what's going to hold us together, what's going to cause us to have a true relationship with him is even in the midst of pain and suffering, if we can look to God and say, listen, I know that you're good. You're good. You're good. You're good. I just visited a couple from our church yesterday where he's going through chemo. His hair's fallen out. I looked him in the face yesterday and he said, he said, Brooks, I... I now know what hell feels like. He's been going through hell. And I sat on their, their kitchen table and we just talked. And you know what we talked about? We just talked about God's goodness, even in the midst of that. And that's what they're holding on to. Maybe that's what you need to hold on to right now. Think about it. In your personal theology, is God good? Or is he kind of good? Or is he semi-good? What work do you have to do there to see him as the good shepherd? The first thing Jesus says is he says, I'm good. The next thing he says is he says he cares. He cares. A couple times in, in that passage in John 10, he says he cares in several different ways. He says uh, he cares in a, in a sacrificial way. Remember in the passage it said that the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. God cares in a sacrificial way. The hired hand doesn't care. The hired hand is just there just to make money. And so when the wolves come, the hired hand isn't going to jump into the midst of that. Like, these aren't my sheep. <laughs> like, that's how it's like some renters do it with their house, right? It's like, well, this isn't my roof, you know? Like, this isn't, my, this isn't my thing. And so it's easy just to walk away. And Jesus says, that's not who I am. Nope, I am not a hired hand. No, no, no. I, when the wolves come, I dive right in. In fact, when the ultimate wolf came, Jesus dove in and gave his life. See, normally the shepherd benefits from the sheep. The, the, the shepherd gets wool from the sheep. The shepherd gets, uh, you know, gets, uh, gets 
uh, lamb chops from the sheep, you know? I mean, the, the shepherd usually benefits from the sheep, but this is the only shepherd who steps into the mix and he says, it's a new paradigm with me. I'm not here to use sheep. I'm not here to get something from you. I'm here to give myself to you. I'm here to give my life to you because I'm the good shepherd. He cares in a sacrificial way. He cares in a relational way. So remember when it says that I know my sheep and my sheep know me. He cares in a relational way. Notice that Jesus didn't call himself the good cowboy. He called himself the good shepherd. He could have called himself the good cowboy. And what does a cowboy do? A cowboy, uh, you know, rallies up the herd. You know, the cowboy is back behind, maybe with like a whip, you know, and it's just like kind of like pushing the herd on. And Jesus didn't say, I'm the good cowboy. Jesus came and he says, no, it's, it's new with me. I'm a good shepherd. See, a shepherd comes and is among the sheep. A shepherd comes and knows the sheep's name. A shepherd comes and, and has, a, has this relationship with the sheep that the cowboy does not have with, with the cattle. We are not cattle to him. He looks at us and he says, I love you. I love you. He cares in a relational way. He also cares in, in an inclusive way. He cares in an inclusive way. Notice there was this one little weird part in here where he says, he says, I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. Remember that? I, I, I have this distinct memory when I was in middle school. I was reading this passage of scripture at, at youth group or something. And, uh, and where is it? It's in verse 16. And I remember reading it. I, it, was, it goes like this. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen and I must bring them also. And I remember reading that and I was like, oh, that's biblical proof that there's aliens. <laughs> I was convinced. I went to my youth pastor. I was like, I figured it out. Jesus is talking about aliens. He has sheep that are not of this sheep pen, right? I think I was watching too much X-Files at the time, you know? And I totally thought, you know, I was like, oh, but that's not what Jesus is talking about at all. You know, Jesus is talking to a group of, of Jewish people. And at the time, the Jewish people were like, God loves us the best because we have his law. And if we follow his law well, then he loves us the best more than these other nations. And Jesus is saying something so profound here to them, and it's profound to us too. Jesus says, listen, you're my sheep, but you're not my only sheep. And you're not my sheep because you're like, you're so better than everybody else. He says, you're not better than anybody else. You're sheep. He goes, I got other sheep. And I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm going after them too. We're going to all going to, we're, we're, we're going to be a part of the same family. That would have been, that would have been blasphemous for some of those Jews to, to hear that, that these Gentiles, these non-Jews were going to come and be a part of the same family. It was offensive to them. But here Jesus is saying, no, 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 I care for my sheep, not because you perform and not because you come from a certain pedigree or a certain family or a certain country or a certain political party. He says, no, 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 I love you and I love you and I love you no matter what tongue, tribe, race, color, background. Jesus says, no, 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 you're all my sheep. Doesn't our world need, need to hear that still today? It was important for them. Don't we need to hear it today still? He's, he cares for us in an inclusive sort of way. Um, finally, he cares. Uh, fin okay, so he cares, and then finally he knows. This is the end. He knows. Um, he says, I know my sheep, 
and my sheep know me. Uh, there's this movie that I remember seeing when I was, when I was in high school, I think. It's called, it's called Defending Your Life. I don't know if any of you have seen this movie, but it's with, this, it's with uh, Albert Brooks. Meryl Streep is in it. And it's this movie where Albert Brooks dies and he goes to heaven. And in heaven, in this like Hollywood version of heaven, you get a lawyer and you sit in this courtroom and they watch every, mo every like embarrassing moment from your life <laughs> on video. And the whole courtroom watches and there's a jury and the judge and you have an attorney. And you basically watch like all the most horrible things you've ever done. <laughs> and some of the good things that you've done. And then basically the court weighs in. Like, do they get to come to heaven or do they get to go, you know, someplace else? And that's what the movie's about. And, uh, you know, I was thinking about how, um, you know, all of us have embarrassing moments. Embarrassing, uh, you know, if do any of you have embarrassing moments that you've had in your life, right? One person is admitting that they have an embarrassing moment. Yeah, thank you. Um, I have enough time to share my most embarrassing, not my most embarrassing moment, but one of my embarrassing moments. Can I share it with you? Would you mind? Okay, will you just be gentle with me and not laugh at me too much? I remember when at last, uh, before we lived in Eugene, we lived in Everett, and Boeing is in Everett. So I had a lot of friends that worked at Boeing. And every year they do this, like, friends and family, uh, like, open house sort of thing where you can come and walk around and see everything. And I was at Boeing and, and on the tour and stuff, and I was like, where's the bathroom? Is the bathroom nearby? And so they pointed me to the bathroom, and I went to the bathroom. And uh, sorry, this is a bathroom story, so I apologize ahead of time. Um, but uh, I walked in and I thought it was weird because the, the, like, the urinals were in the middle of the bathroom. It was kind of weird. They were like right in the middle and it was round. It was like this round like trough sort of thing, which I thought was strange because I was like, because like if you're going to go, you're going to be like looking at other people while they're going too. It's just it was strange. I was like, this is, this is a weird, come on, Boeing, you got a lot of money. You do way better with the bathrooms here. And so, and so I was like, well, whatever. And so, you know, I, uh, so I was, I was, I was going, right? Um, this is the first time I've shared a bathroom story at Westside in six years. Uh, it's out of character for me. Okay. Uh, and so I'm, I'm, so I'm going. And then so these guys come in to use, to use the bathroom and they kind of look at me and, and then they walk to the urinals that are on the, the wall. Like there's a bunch of urinals on the wall. I didn't even, I didn't even see the ones on the wall, but I look over, I look over and I'm like, oh. Yeah, those, those look like urinals. And then I look, I look at, at my thing and I notice there's the soap dispenser right here. And I was, wait a second. Oh. Boeing's a big place, so I never saw those people again, right? So it was okay. Okay, listen, think about your most embarrassing moment or one of your embarrassing moments. Think about it. Just think, try to bring it to your head. Okay, no, 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 no now, hold on, to bring it to your head. Now, I'm gonna ask you to get even deeper, all right? So we all have embarrassing moments, but listen, we also have like shameful moments, right? We got things, we got things. And, you know, if, if you were going to ask me some of those moments, probably the person that knows those uh, about me or my wife, Christy, she knows all those. And she's not going to share them with you um, because those are, those are just for her. But do, you know, but do you know what's crazy, too, is she doesn't even know. She doesn't even, like, see to the bottom of me. There's still, like, stuff in me that's, that, I just, like, that I just wouldn't want anyone to know. You know what I mean? Am I alone in this? I'm being vulnerable with you. I have a feeling that everybody feels the same way as me, that there's something in you, there's things in you that 
is you have this sense that if someone were to know it, know about you, that they would turn on you, that they would abandon you if they knew. You just got this sense. And that feeling causes us to live isolated lives. We try to not let people in. And so we, you know, we, we don't want to be vulnerable because what if somebody finds out the real me? What if somebody sees the real me? Will, will they still love me? That's the question. That's the question that's just, just in all of us. And it's a powerful question. If someone were to know me completely, would they still love me? Would they still accept me knowing what they know? And can you see where I'm heading with this? Here's God. Here's Jesus who steps on the scene and he says, I'm the good shepherd and I know all of your sheepness. I know everything about you. God knows you to the bottom. He knows everything about you. And yet, and yet he still says, I love you. You're mine. He delights in caring for you. He delights in leading you. He delights in adopting you into his flock. You say, no, that can't possibly be true. If God, he can't possibly do that because if he would know, then he wouldn't, he wouldn't accept me into his flock. And that, that thought in you, that thought in you is, is this thing that's keeping you away from him because here's God and he's saying, listen, no, you've got it all wrong. I love you. I know you to the bottom and I love you to the top. Can you see how, if you were to truly believe that, it would change you, wouldn't it? It would transform you. If you really believed that, it would do something in you. It would open things up in you to know that this God, he loves you to the bottom. And that's exactly what Jesus proved to us. See, Jesus didn't even just say that he loved us. Anybody can say that he loves you. Oh, I love you to the top. Jesus didn't just, he wasn't just words. Jesus showed us that he loved us by taking all of our shame, heaping it on himself on the cross, proving to us once and for all that he loves you enough to take your sin, to die for you, to love you that much. Listen, no, nothing else will die for you like that. Your money will not die for you like that. Netflix won't die for you like that. Your bank account won't die for you like that. Your career won't die for you like that. You're feeling, you're, you know, like whatever it is you're looking to, to a shepherd, there's no shepherd out there that will love you like Jesus loves you because he's the good shepherd. Can you take that in today? Will you let it transform?